Well, is the summertime going to be free and breezy, or is there going to be a chill in the air? Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels. It is great to be back with you on this chill. It's interesting you bring that up. It's a chillier day today. I think we're in the upper 60s. We have been over 80, but we're right back in the 70s tomorrow, so I can take it. Well, that's excellent. You know, and it's a great day for uh, doing a lot of stuff, including radio, which I really enjoy doing. You know, we get in here and we uh, kick around some ideas and talk, and I learned so much more about history talking to you and, you know, we're doing our show notes and then, you know, looking at what's going on right now and thinking, man, some things never change. People just go back to, they only go back to what they know. But it's interesting because today what we're looking at, and this show is being recorded, obviously, and it's going to run on uh, Memorial Day weekend, which is great uh, coming up. I can't believe we're already almost at the end of May. Yeah, no uh, kidding. Five months into 2023 already, and it's just going like a rocket sled on rails. But we are looking at what usually is, considered the long, hot summer. It's it's not an election year. It's an off year, but there's still everybody's prepping and posting. And of course, just what was it yesterday? Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, kind of sort of formally announced that he's running for president, although his launch, I guess, was filled with all kinds of technical difficulties. It was a bit of a debacle. Yeah. A A bit of a debacle for him, which, you know, that that honestly has never really hurt anybody coming out of the gate. Right. Um, but it's very interesting to watch how everybody's lining up. Polls show that Ron DeSantis, even before he came into the race, is running 30-plus points behind Donald Trump. Now, of course, I think that's about anybody's lot right now in the GOP, even those who have been in that most people don't even realize are actually formally running for president on the GOP ticket, including Asa Hutchinson and Nikki Haley and others of that ilk, who I, Tim Scott just announced, and supposedly he's got some, uh, Larry, is it Larry Ellison? The guy yeah, behind. he's got Larry Ellison behind him, yeah. Yeah, the guy the guy behind uh, Oracle, I think. is He's is, Oracle. Yeah, that's Oracle. You know, whatever big corporations behind him, who knows. But that's what's going to be happening all summer long. But throwing on top of that, we've got this this little thing going on right now, Chuck, called debt ceiling negotiations between Joe Biden's administration and the White House and between the House and the Senate. They're looking at, oh, we're in such, we borrowed so much money. We've promised people so many trillions of dollars for all these crazy things that we really can't do. And so now we got to come up with how do we, how do we make, how do we spend money and make people think, that they're getting a tax break. I think that's the <laughs> challenge. That's yeah. really the challenge before people like Kevin McCarthy, who's the Speaker of the House, is how do you get the GOP priorities, knowing that the Senate is controlled by the Dems and the administration, how do you get them to come to the understanding that, well, you're just going to have to do some things that you don't like doing, that you forced us to try to do when you were in control, And, you know, the opposite of what you've been forcing us to try to do. And it's going to be a interesting trade-off. And either way it goes, the only people who are really going to get probably impacted negatively by all this is the 
average U.S. middle class taxpayer. Yeah, it's the taxpayer. It's the middle class. It's a small business. Always the ones who get get it. Small business, the the middle class taxpayer, medium sized businesses might get affected, but the big guys will not be. If you think about it, businesses when they when taxes increases, why I always laugh when people say corporates corporations are not paying their fair share. Well, first of all, what do you mean by a fair share? It's a meaningless phrase. Second of all, what happens when you raise corporate taxes? Well, they build it into the cost of the goods sold, and therefore you pay through price increase. This this is why corporate taxation is a joke. And by the way, not requiring people to pay taxes is not a giveaway. It is a tax break. And why do you give a tax break, especially when gas is all, uh, you know, between $350 and $4 a gallon? You give a tax break to oil producers and energy company producers. You give it to them so they don't pass these uh, huge, uh, imp- make gasoline more expensive and energy more expensive. I mean, we all know that uh, the price of electricity is supposed to go up next month. I got a notice from AEP that. It's going up, and it's not going up a little bit. It's going up a lot. Oh, that's a shame. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's not just me. It's not just AEP. It's it's electric companies all over the place, co-ops, every place. Why? Well, a lot of co-ops don't run their own generation systems. Right. They buy electricity from the grid, just like AEP. AEP does own some generation facilities, but they don't own them all. They buy from the grid, just like, you know, when they've got extra generation capability, they sell it to the grid. And when they're short, they buy from the grid because there are always people someplace. If we have a cool spell here here, and, and nobody's running their air conditioner, I can guarantee you in Texas, it's 105 degrees. And they're running their air conditioners 24-7. So somebody, they need to buy the electricity from the grid. So these are complex questions. And this thing about somehow, you know, uh, apparently in the debt negotiations, one of the stumbling blocks is that the executive branch keeps trying to sneak in more taxes. Of course. I'm guessing some kind of hidden tax that taxes the middle class without making it look like they're taxing the middle class. If you recall, we were, we're always told we're going to rob the rich and give to the poor. It never works that way, Barry. Never, no, of course never, never, ever. That's like in my early youth when the Ohio p- passed the lottery, I knew it was a tremendous scam. Because oh, absolutely. The lottery is a tax on the poor. Because who disproportionately buys lottery tickets? Well, the average guy getting off work, yeah, know, stopping by the gas station. It's, people, it's lower middle class and it's lower low income people. Why lower, lower income strata? That's right. And why? Because there's always that chance that they might hit that fifty thousand dollar or the hundred thousand dollar or the million dollar. You know, there's always that chance. Honestly, and some of them do. The problem is they don't realize how many millions of others have also laid down money in order to hit that same chance that they're hitting. Well, unfortunately, people, you and I would be included in this group. We look at the lottery and say, my gosh, I I got a better chance of standing out in my driveway and getting hit by lightning. 
a much better chance than hitting the lottery. Oh yeah. And the only time I, anymore that I, I buy a lottery ticket, it got up to a billion dollars or something. Not too long ago. I think I bought right. five bucks worth of tickets. I'm like, I can get struck by lightning just like everybody else. <laughs> and I'll take, even if I, they split it, you know, four way split, it's $250 million. You know, I'll take that. Oh, and, I'm generous. Yeah. I'm generous. I'd, I'd give it, I'd, you know, <laughs> split the money. Sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, $5, mostly it's a tax on the poor. There are a number of things that are tax on the poor. And uh, anytime you force companies like Kroger, let's say we, uh, um, we, we decided to corporately tax someplace like Kroger or Walmart or Aldi or giant Eagle or something. What's going to happen? People. Well, somebody's going to, somebody's going to pull out their constitution and point and say, you can't do that because of the 14th amendment. Right. <laughs> and that is the subject today. Uh, but it's important to understand that what that means is poor folks are in some cases going to have to go to the state to get relief so they can eat. Yep. And that's the bottom line. So all, all this thing about, obviously we're going to talk a little bit about this attempt. You may have heard about it. If you're in the news, this uh, it's been floated that uh, we're going to use the 14th amendment to force the raising of the debt ceiling. Now, in case you don't know how that works, Barry and I used to teach, and we'd, I'd love to do it again, and I know Barry would love to do it again. We'd love to teach another Constitution class, and I currently, by myself, am available to teach one of those classes. Yeah, I don't, I don't travel much anymore, so. Barry's not traveling. A little harder for me to do it. We could probably set him up on a Zoom, but mm -hmm. honestly, it's probably easier for me if I just went someplace and took, you know, all my, all my materials and taught. But if you want to know more why the 14th Amendment, besides this talk we're going to do today, why the 14th Amendment is not what you're, uh, these are not the drones you're looking for, to quote Star Wars. The right, 14th exactly. Amendment is not the amendment you're looking for in this case. So I'm not sure who flo first floated this idea. It's been out there for about a month. Well, there was, there was a group of Democrat lawmakers, mainly from the House, I think led by, I'm not sure if it was AOC or well, wouldn't shock one, one of the other squad members, but they put forth an idea of using the, of the reading of that little provision in the 14th Amendment. Now, there's like three or four clauses. In the 14th Amendment, it's about equal protections under the law. There are five. Yeah, okay, there's five. And one of those specifically gets to the debts of the country. And what it says, and we'll just read it here real quick, 14th. It's article. That's the, that's, that's the one with the X and V. It's section four. Yes. Here it is. XIV. XIV, <laughs> section four. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion. And you have to remember that the 14th Amendment was written after the Civil War. Right. Okay. That's a key clause, by the way. That's that is a key, key clause. That's right. Shall not be questioned. Okay. 
But then there's a, there is a, another writing uh, sentence that goes along with that that kind of illuminates. And it says, but neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave, but all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. And, of course, it has what we call the kicker clause. Um, this is a clause that you don't find in the first ten amendments to the United States Constitution. You don't find them in the what, last two. Uh, because after the Civil War, we had the change from negative law theory to positive law theory. That's right. It, and, and, actually, so, and so basically every amendment has this little clause at the very end of it, starting at about, I think, we're what, at? After at, Article 12, 12. Uh, after the 12th Amendment. That's right. After the 12th Amendment, yeah. every, every last one of these has this little section in it, and it says, and I quote, the Congress shall have power to enforce, by appropriate legislation, the provisions of this article. Okay. That, is that the President of the United States, Chuck? Uh, no, it is not. No, it is not. Is it the, the courts of the United States, including the U.S. Supreme Court? It is not. Okay. Is it a state uh, doing it on their own? Yeah. Um, depending on if the, the power is forbidden to them in the Constitution or not. Uh, yes, and we get to which powers are forbidden and which are not. And, of course, with this language, it is forbidden to them to do it because it says, exactly. neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in the aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States. So, But it's the Congress that has to make this up. Now, no formal uh, provision has been put forward. By, by the Congress, uh, they're still talking over the, the debt ceiling limitations and what they're going to do and if there's going to be work requirements for federal aid, that kind of thing. Those are all good and well because Congress can bake that in to the bill, to the spending measure, to the omnibus, whichever one they're going to use, and make that work. But when the whole idea is that because the 14th Amendment is sitting there and that language says that, oh, you know, you can't question the validity of the public debt. Well, no, you can't quite. It just means that you can't say that we can spend whatever we want to spend because, well, that's the public debt, and I've just been given a get-out-of-jail-free card. So I can spend whatever I feel like, and the president can somehow unilaterally invoke this, 14th, this rare 14th Amendment uh, provision to say, well, whatever we want to spend, we can spend because, look, you can't question it. You can't question it. Now, Chuck, if we gave away power like that, um, shame on us. Uh, shame, yes. on the shame on the people of the United States because they have made a tremendous error in judgment. And I don't believe that that's the case. Uh, I do believe that uh, what we were looking at was a government that was unstable, after the end of the Civil War, you know, you had the uh, uh, the, the northern states uh, congressmen wanting to sequester and punish the southern states uh, for, for the for the what they call considered the rebellion um, and, and chose to use that kind of language uh, so that they wouldn't have to give out money 
to any of the states who are rebuilding during the Reconstruction era. And, you know, but that, it was a provision for a specific time and a specific set of circumstances. Um, it does say that, yes, the United States can incur debt. We would rather not. I'm sure most of our taxpaying citizens who have to file with the IRS every year would rather us not have to pay all that. But because those things have gone through the uh, right and regular process of being introduced in the right chamber, being thoroughly debated. Well, we know they're never thoroughly debated. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, but being debated uh, and a vote being taken so, to say, this is where we're going to spend the money that we're bringing in, in revenues from taxpayers, from taxpaying businesses, uh, from, from all of the other sources we might have. And, you know, when you they start throwing out the terms like $31 trillion, it sounds like a lot of money, right? Like every, every individual um, who is an American citizen, 330 plus million of us, supposedly start out with at least a $90,000 debt load in taxes and in unfunded obligations of the United States uh, because of when you have people like Joe Biden and um, their group running the country, they want to run it by handing out, quote unquote, free money to everybody in order to get votes. Um, you have to have some sense of obligation. You have to have some sense of there's got to be a, if there's a floor, there's got to be a ceiling. You know, you can't build a house without ceilings. It really doesn't work very well. Well, yeah, it becomes a, uh, essentially a walled backyard. Yes, it does. And, and, you know, although I, I'm sure that a lot of people like that, it'd be fun. Uh, it gets, it <laughs> for gets a boring while. after for yeah. a little bit. It gets boring. Until the anyhow, middle of January, and then not so much fun. But anyhow, so the House negotiators with the, the Speaker um, are coming in, and they're, and they're talking about a number of different articles that they want to see in this. Basically, they're like, you know, we want to get with, uh, if you're going to raise borrowing in order to, you know, pay for these things, then you're going to have to do it with some kind of a floor. And the floor they're looking at is the 2022 fiscal uh levels and capping spending at that. So in other words, not going beyond or spending more than we spent in fiscal 2022. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And they also want to uh, basically get rid of some of the key policy issues that Biden had put forward, which are basically handouts and basically having stricter work requirements if you receive federal benefits. So that, like welfare, uh, I don't think they're talking about Social Security because everybody wants to go run and hide on that one. Um, yes and no. I don't know if you knew this or not. And you're 10 years younger than me. And uh, we're praying for you to uh, achieve retirement age at some point. Um, my current age for full retirement, remember in the, in the old days, uh, was 65. Um, you could retire yep. at, at full uh, your full benefits at 65. Um, at my age, it's 70 right now. Uh, I can retire at 66 and six months and collect, uh, most of most of, but I can also work and collect money, a very large amount of money. I can continue to work and take social security. 
But the new age for retirement for these youngsters who think they're secure is going to be, I think, in two years, 73. Yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a longer tale. It's well, look, I, I I was talking to my financial advisor the other day, and I said, so in other words, what they're going to do is eventually raise the the price for full retirement or the age for full retirement to dead. And he yeah. said, yeah, it's going to get there, right? Full retirement will be what, dead. Yeah, you can only do what you got. That's for sure. Right. Um, and they have to do look. Social Security and Medicare are a Ponzi scheme. Yes. Um, especially when you throw Social Security, as they've been doing since the uh, the 60s, and Medicare, into the general fund. They don't. Remember uh, Al Gore's famous, put it in a lockbox. Um, there is no lockbox. Uh, if, if you had been required by law, Social Security... Uh, if it had, you had been required to buy a, a re, uh, an IRA say with the same money and the same income from your employer and, uh, you, uh, cause a lot of people don't know that your employer pays half your social security costs unless you're self-employed, um, and your Medicare costs, uh, is paid half by your employer. Um, cause I pay, pay both sides. Okay. If that had been required to put into a, an IRA for your uh, retirement and a, uh, a medical savings account for your medical, um, and you weren't allowed to touch it until, let's say, you were 60, you would have millions and millions and millions of dollars, more that can, than can be imagined. How can that be? Well, all you have to do is do a compound interest calculation uh, on. You just go take a look at your paycheck, take that money, compound the interest for about 45 years, and see how much money there is. It's millions and millions and millions. And that money, what? where would that money be? It would be an investment. Why? Because normally, uh, if you, you have an IRA, it's in something like a mutual fund or something and wherein the money is put back into investment, things that will yield a return. As it is now, the federal government takes your Social Security payment, throws it in the general pot, and immediately spends it. Well, of course. What kind Faster. of wealth does that build? It doesn't build any wealth. It's, it depletes wealth. It depletes well. I was going to say it actually goes backwards. And that's what the problem here is with this debt ceiling thing. Every uh, um, Keynesian economics, uh, basically socialist economics, says that the government can create wealth by simply creating money. And the way they create money is by issuing debt certificates. And other countries buy our debt certificates and we buy theirs. Well, what that does is creates a gigantic house of cards, wherein all it takes is one card to collapse. What happens to a house of cards when one card collapses? Usually they all come flying the down. The whole mess comes down in your lap. Um, it's true. 
uh, you know, I've watched people do that. Like they're bored in a hospital or something. They'll build house cards. I was never able to do that. I don't have the patience for it. Um, but, um, I also don't have the patience for the government telling me that they're doing me a favor by taking my money that they're supposed to be putting away for me and spending it immediately. Um, and this, the big, the dirty little secret that they, the reason they keep raising the price is because, or the age of retirement is because, uh, a, we have a falling population. If it weren't for immigration, our, our, uh, uh, our population would be falling. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons for that. People, uh, uh, don't want to raise kids. We'll, we'll go off on the wrong tangent here, but it's interesting, Barry, that one of the clauses in here, uh, yes. Debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing erection, uh, insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. Well, Okay. That's all well and good. But the fact is that the money has been stolen out of the pot. That, you know, it's all full of IOUs. Okay, that does leave a debt. But, uh, and we've talked on shows before, uh, when, when we're told about how much debt there actually is out there. Right. Oh, gosh. The numbers they give are, oh, you know, I, I forget what it is, twenty-seven trillion or whatever it is currently. We're, I think we're at thirty-five right now. Thirty-five. Yeah. Well, guess what? The number is about ten times that that high. Well, uh, yes, because unfunded you count the mandates, un, unfunded mandates, the payments that have been deferred off to future dates, which may may or may never be paid, um, the trade exchange. Uh, you know, we always talk about the stability of the dollar and it being used as a uh, a basis currency for all these transactions. Well, you have to have something that's going to act as a floor. Again, and yeah. when you start chopping away at the floor and destabilizing the dollar in order to try to get something else in there, it's going to create a lot of uh, weakness in the entire system. Well, there's already talk of the uh, uh, removing the dollar as the uh, um, reserve currency, the reserve currency, uh, replacing it with. I, there have been any number of suggestions: the petrodollar, the, uh, um, the Chinese yuan. Um, for for a number of years, they were talking about the Japanese yen. Yeah, they were. But the Japanese, uh, thanks to our economic advice, where we went in and actively told them to discourage savings and encourage credit spending in Japan, their economy went into collapse and has never fully recovered. They lost a lot of manufacturing, just like we have. Remember when uh, in the 70s, all the steel manufacturing was moving where? It was moving it to Japan. Right. Where is it now? Uh, China, Singapore, or China, Malaysia, and Indonesia, and some in some in in India. Although they got their own problems, um, it came back to some extent thanks to Donald Trump. But a lot of that just ended. Uh, remember when Trump was going to uh, fix that problem? 
and he started to fix that problem. And then, uh, he, the, uh, election was stolen from him and he wasn't allowed to finish. And a lot of the country club Republican, uh, the, uh, um, chamber of commerce Republicans didn't want to anyway, because they're globalists. Right. Um, but this thing about not questioning the debt, we have to go back historically and look what this is all about. Um, yes. Because this was written just after the Civil War. And by the way, the 14th Amendment is a, if you look into the history of the 14th Amendment, it's a pluperfect mess. I mean, it was, whether it was even ever officially ratified correctly, um, especially before, now, you know, you know, basically states have been required when they come into the Union to ratify the whole Constitution. Correct. Um, and uh, um, actually, it turned out that Ohio did not properly ratify the 14th at one time. Um, I think recently, that was the case, yeah. Recently, they had to go through and have a resolution to ratify the 14th Amendment. This is like in the, in the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was in the 2000s. Um, and uh, I said, too bad. If they had any guts, they'd say, no, we're not passing that thing. Um, and the reason they, uh, the people get wigged up, wigged out about 14th, it has to do with uh, citizenship. And the reason yes. it's passed ostensibly was to make sure that black people, uh, former slaves, were not, were not stripped of their citizenship by, by virtue of the fact that they had been in servitude their whole lives. Um and that attempt was made. I, we won't be. Uh, there were other in the South, but let's be clear about something. You know, uh, people, uh, states in the South get a bad rap. But uh, for instance, Mississippi, yes, um, passed a law before the Thirteenth Amendment that said uh, sla slavery and slave trade and uh, it's illegal in Mississippi. Yes. Um, people don't know that the, some of the first anti-slavery societies were, uh, were founded in Atlanta, Georgia. So that being said, some of the, some of these things were going on, but th there were attempts and we'll openly acknowledge that to uh, strip people of their citizenship because of their former, uh, um, situation in, in, as slaves and servitude as uh, chattel slavery. And so, um, what this did was it took over the original constitutional definition uh, that people had to be, for instance, we, we all know the controversy over a natural born citizen. If we remember the Obama administration, we remember the controversy over the quote unquote natural born citizen. The fact that mm -hmm. he, uh, Barack Obama really wasn't one according to the original definition. Now the original definition is not in the document. Not in no, the it's Constitution. Not. It's in a uh, philosopher's writing, a guy by the name of Emmerich de Vittel. De Vittel, was, that's right. was Swiss, I think. I think he was from one of the Swiss yes. cantons. Yes, he's, uh, he's Swiss. He was Swiss. And basically what it said was, you, um, you were a natural-born citizen if your father was either naturalized in a country or had been born there. Right, exactly. And Barack Obama's father was not born nor naturalized in the United States. Nope. Okay. 
Well, and we can go all and we can go all the way back. Oh yeah. In in that idea, and look at uh, guys like Alexander Hamilton. Well, who Hamilton was not a natural born U.S. citizen. There were two reasons why, partly why that got put in there. Uh, Hamilton was one. Nobody wanted to see him in the presidency. No, uh, because he was uh, he was from Nevis and Saint Kitts, which is in the Caribbean. It's it a couple of islands that Nevis and Saint Kitts was a right a, a British colony in the in the Caribbean, but also for a guy named Albert Gallatin. Okay, Gallatin was on the other kind of the other side of the aisle from uh, Hamilton, and uh, people didn't want Gallatin to make a run at the presidency. So they, they threw that natural born citizen thing in there. Okay. What the 14th amendment did was basically turn that all around on its head, completely around on its head, changed the definition of what a natural born citizen was. Okay. All, uh, and this is, this is side side talk, but the, this is why the 14th amendment is a complete mess. Well, yes. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which uh, shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. And again... That's not a bad thing when you think about in terms of what was going on uh, with slavery. People that people they were trying to make former slaves second second class citizens in a lot of places, not just in the South. Because remember, Jim Crow laws didn't start in the South; they started in the North, uh, Illinois specifically. Yes, the land of Lincoln. Um, but what does that say? It says. Um, all in the United States, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Barry, That's right. Before this amendment, the states set the criteria for citizenship. Right, exactly. Now, did the federal government need to seize this power? They believe uh, that they believe that they did. They thought they the, did. They because thought of the, the working yeah. because of the workings of what happened during the, uh, the the war between the states. So this is why uh, people complain about the Fourteenth seizing the power of the states uh, in violation of the Tenth Amendment and handing it over to the federal government. Were, well, bad things, in, were bad things going on? Yes, they were. Uh, was right. it necessary to uh, strip the states of their authority? Not only was it unnecessary, it was unconstitutional. There are questions, all kinds of questions about about this these clauses. And again, the passage of the 14th Amendment is, is shrouded in controversy. But let's go back to, to uh, Section 4. Sure. What absolutely. was going on? This uh, there were some states who were saying, "Hey, look, you you forced us." The southern states were saying, "You forced us back in the union, right? Where we didn't want to be." Then you're saying that our debt, that we've got people holding these these bonds, 
and that the dead is no good. Right. And this is, you know, and there was an argument in Congress, especially when they started bringing some of the states back in. If you'll recall, uh, I think it was over the passage of the 14th, a lot of the states were brought back in and had representation in Congress and were re-expelled. Why were they re-expelled? They were re-expelled because you couldn't pass some of the amendments without getting rid of those Southern states representatives in the manner it's required. Uh, constitutional amendments, uh, I believe require a three quarter. Yes. Three quarter. And then ratification in, in or, uh, two thirds and then a ratification of, of three quarters of the states. Uh, two thirds of Congress has to, uh, pass those on a, on a, Congressional, I believe that's the numbers. Uh, may, maybe three fifths. I'm I'm rusty, uh, and it's in there, and I'm not not going to look it up now. But the fact is, there's a supermajority required, as we talked about on last week's show. Why a supermajority is necessary? However, to get a supermajority, they had to remove southern uh, the southern representatives who weren't who would were voting no on this, and they knew that the states. Uh, in the South would not ratify. Therefore, what they did was they threw them back out of the Union, then uh, required them to ratify the newly ratified 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments Mm -hmm. before they could be allowed to come back in. That's why Reconstruction lasted until 1877, 12 years uh, essentially, the South was under occupation. Um, after they'd come into the Union and then been thrown out. So the idea here is that the federal government sees these powers under very, uh, first of all, crisis situations. Barry, how do we always lose our rights? Well, there's always a crisis. There's always a crisis. There's always a crisis. And, and the crisis is uh, here is the validity of the public debt of the United States. This is civil war debt. And there were people in the who were in some of the northern states as well who were saying, uh, neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States. So what's the 14th Amendment about? Making sure that Southern war debt did not get paid by the federal government. Right, exactly. That's exactly what the 14th Amendment is for. Now, uh, there's an article in Zero Hedge, why Biden can't use the 14th Amendment to raise the debt ceiling. This is written by Rob Nadelson. We, We are... We have been in opposition to Rob Nadelson. Males here. Uh, why? Because he's a big proponent of a balanced budget amendment through the uh, uh, constitutional convention process. I understand his concern, why he thinks this will work, and, and it won't. Because, the first of all, he, he's uh, beating himself on the chest and saying, you know, I wrote the, the uh, balanced budget amendment. Well, I've, I used the language of the balanced budget amendment in opposition to it because I said, this is so riddled with loopholes and places where you can wiggle through and uh, things you can do to bypass it that it's essentially worthless. So we're going to 
throw the constitution up for, uh, for grabs to get this useless amendment, you know, times of national emergency during war during And I, I pointed out to people, we've been in a state of national emergency, literally legally since the end of world war two. This is true. So anyway, um, basically what, um, um, Nadelson says is, uh, what it, uh, the problem being the, uh, here's what his analysis, the validity of us public debt shall not be questioned. Okay, fine. We, we agree there. This means that the federal government may not use any pretext for refusing to pay off debt instruments, such as savings bonds and treasury bills. Okay, that's fine. Because that is a, an incurred debt, and we are required to pay that. You know, you know what this yes. amendment disallows. That this came to mind when I was reading it. Remember, we, have you heard people talking about debt repudiation? Yes. Guess what? You can't do that under the Fourteenth Amendment. No, you cannot. No such not allowed. We we cannot just simply say we declare bankruptcy and we were uh, uh, declare all debts. Uh, uh, through bonds and, and T-bills and saving, uh, you know, uh, those kinds of things. We declare them null and void. We're going to start over, uh, uh, go back to zero. Can't do it. It's in the 14th Amendment. Okay. Now, he asks the question, who grants the power? Who's granted in, in this? Um, and you brought this up earlier. Who is given the power to pass laws to ensure our debt obligations are met? Congress is given the power. Congress is given the power. Congress is the only place that has the power to do that. Doesn't say the executive branch is allowed to come in and apply a new interpretation to the 14th Amendment and give itself the authority. No, not at all. Or the Supreme Court. Even if the Supreme Court handed them the, the executive branch the power to do that, would it be legal and lawful? No, it would should not. not be. No, no, the, it uh, should not be. Uh, the Supreme Court has done this many times. It just simply says, well, the words don't mean what you think they mean. That's right. And they they, they could do that. But I, this court probably would not do that, which is why the uh, the left is screaming, stomping mad uh, and want to get rid of uh, um, people like Clarence Thomas and uh, Scalia and, and and these guys. Well, they already got rid of Scalia. Well, Scalia's gone. Yeah, you're, you're talking right. about um, uh, yeah Alito. Alito. They they want these people gone, um, and they're willing to gin up these laughable. Uh, oh, they they went on vacation together. Yeah, they did because they're friends. <laughs> you know that friends go on vacation together. It, it's, it's we can't we can't have friends being friends. No. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting, Chuck, that you're, we're talking about this because, you know, it's just showing something here that people ought to be very, very cognizant of. We elect these people to carry out the will of the people of the United States when we send them to Congress. OK. And when we send somebody to the White House and when we you know do the things that we do called voting in elections. And what we have are people who, once they get in there, are looking for any means possible in order to 
take away any kind of restrictions that they have on their actions so that they can get what they want when they want it. Um, it is the height of, uh, you know, self-expression, I guess is what you call it. Uh, we call it, um, you know, in, in schools, you know, when you've got kids going to schools, you know, we need to get their self-esteem up. Self-esteem, yes. Well, there's no greater, there's no greater bunch of, uh, shall we say, juveniles running around who are looking for self-esteem boost than members of Congress. Oh, um, it is, it's ridiculous to watch. Now, they're trying to hook on a clause that says, shall not be questioned, because they don't want any of their actions questioned. They don't want any of their actions questioned. They think somehow, if Joe Biden can wave a magic wand and get the Republicans and everybody else to agree that, oh, anytime we want to spend money or transfer monies or, you know, do things and dump monies back into our district so that we can buy votes. And let's just be honest. That's what they're doing. They're buying That's votes. exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. They're grabbing a hold of it, even though it makes no legal, ethical, moral, or common sense. I mean, it's not common sense to say, oh, we put you in here. Here's a document that restricts your actions, says what you can and can't do. Roadmaps who's supposed to be doing what, when, and, you know, which player at which level gets the ability to do things, whether it's the people themselves, it's the states that, that represent them, or it's the federal Congress representing, you know, the states. And here they are trying to say, oh, look, these four little words or five little words in here that says, shall not be questioned. Yes. Ooh, that's what we want. We want shall not be questioned because then we can do whatever we feel like. And that's that's really what they're trying to get down to, Chuck. It is those four little words. Yes. Shall, shall not, not be yes. questioned. Yes. Not yes. sad because we just talked about how the Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. And so it's Congress is going to have to come back. If they really want all this stuff, they're going to have to put a bill forward. They're going to have to debate it, and it's going to have to be passed and adopted by the um, the Congress in a legitimate vote. And I really don't think they're going to get there. They can't get there, Barry. I, they can't, they can't they get can't. there. No, but uh, go back to Nadelson for a second. Sure. Because it, if I he, have to. he yeah. But he's right in this case. You know, he's got the blind squirrel syndrome. Excellent. He found a nut. Um, every once in a while, it's okay. Well, that's right. And, and essentially what he says, what notice what this language does not say in the 14th amendment. It doesn't say the government must borrow more to pay off existing debt. Absolutely does not say that you're right. Congress may meet its obligation from existing revenue. How do you do that? You cut, cut spending. spending. All right. Second point. Doesn't say Congress must change legal limits on borrowing. Exactly. It doesn't say that. There's no requirement that that be done. Well, we should, though. We should cap that. Of course. Probably at a zero going back, oh, I don't know, five or six years. That, you know, well, we've been spending like, well, 
at least three. Let's oh, since the pandemic, since the 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 pardon me, the pandemic, the pandemic, that's the right. pandemic. Um, we have been sp- spending money like a drunken sailor. Uh, um, you know who's who's been at uh, who's got extra combat pay and just got a cash disbursement. Um, uh, and unfortunately the cash is gone. So the sailor is trying to borrow money and nobody, everybody's saying, yeah, I don't think so. You're not a great risk. Okay. The last point that Nadelson makes is although it grants power to Congress, it grants none, none to the president other than to enforce the laws enacted by Congress. This is because the constitution requires that the president quote, take care that the laws be faithfully executed end quote, That's Article 2, Section 3. One of those laws the president must enforce is the national debt limit. And that's where we are. These guys are trying to usurp authority from Congress. Who It's amazing that the opposition is not 435 to zero. Because what this is, is yet another attempt of the executive branch to seize power from Congress, and they don't recognize that. Same thing in the Senate. It should be 100 to 0 against this attempt to seize power. But this is about electoral politics. We have to find a way to embarrass the Republicans. Therefore, we have to show them that the president will step in and and sign an executive order, no doubt, which he is not authorized to sign. Now, can the president issue executive orders? Yes. Can he seize authority on the notion that he has a power that is clearly forbidden to him in the Constitution? And the answer is no, he can't do that. That's an impeachable offense. But my gosh, how long is the impeachable offense uh, list getting with this current president? He he has seized authority all over the place. Yep, it was trying to. Well, it's trying to, um, and uh, essentially, it's not him. He's not. He does not have the cognitive ability to to work up these complex schemes. He's being manipulated behind the scenes. Probably. Um, not, not that Joe Biden, in his, uh, when, he, when he did have brains, uh, wasn't a formidable uh, uh, usurper. He was. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, all you have to do is go back and, and watch what he tried to do to Clarence Thomas. Uh, that would have been about what 1990 somewhere around in there. What what he tried to do to Clarence Thomas in those hearings, they they really rigged it up good, and people were outraged, outraged at what had happened there. And and Joe was the one of the main architects of what how they tried to do it, and they stumbled very badly. Well, it looks like they're stumbling on this Fourteenth Amendment thing. Uh, but what's interesting is how little effort is being put into. Uh, um, actually, you know, Nadelson is one, and this is in zero heads. It's not exactly a bulwark of leftist thought. Um, 
And all the left can say is, oh, what a great idea. Let's go back to the 14th Amendment and use it for this and this and this and this. It can't be used for that. And this really points it out. Uh, now, what's interesting is that what he points out, now he, he backs up the power with history, the power of Congress to do this with history in this article. He says the principle that a government's financial powers are lodged in a representative legislature rather than, than the executive is central to our political system. Many people died for that idea, ideal. That is correct. When Parliament started uh, way back, I think around the 13th century, it was started because the king wanted to raise money and the barons said no. So he called them together in a quote-unquote parliament. Parli the word parliament means talking place. He called them together to try to persuade them to l give him the authority to collect more taxes because he needed it for military conquest. Now, did it get out of hand? Oh, absolutely it did, because why? This is going to be interesting. In the 17th century, that is the around, around the 1630s, uh, King Charles I exercised financial powers without the approval of Parliament. That's a no-no. The king can't raise money without Parliament. That was an right. established part of the of the British Constitution. This, as far as I know, we did not elect Joe Biden to be king. So that's right. He he has no authority there. And even if he was, he'd still be he'd still be under the authority of a legislative body. This is true. Um, okay, this led directly to the English Civil War. Now, a lot of people don't know anything about that. Let's just say that King Charles I uh, lost his head. Yes, he did. And I don't mean he went insane. His yeah, head, literally, literally, not figuratively. Yeah, he was. his head was knocked off, and it was because he attempted to usurp the authority of Parliament. Specific, he kind of had the lords in his pocket, but he, the House of House of Commons was no thank you very much. There were other elements involved in this, but it, largely this was a uh, a taxation issue. Uh, King Charles I was attempting to break the back; he was wanted to break the backs of both the nobles and the uh, you know um, the landowners. Yes, not, not just the. Uh, the lords, but the commoners, quote unquote, who were often nobles, who were big landowners, he wanted to break their back. Uh, why? So we could run roughshod over them. All right. In the 18th century, in the, okay, the 1700s, uh, late 1700s, King sure. uh, uh, King George III, we all know his name, and a parliament not representing Americans tried to tax Americans. Now, a lot of people don't know this. The United States was not a British colony. It was a crown colony. What's the difference? A crown colony is directly under the authority of the king. Okay? There's still some out there. The Isle of Man, um, the, uh, the uh, Channel Islands are all crown colonies. What does that mean? That means parliament can pass a bill 
for the entire, you know, all of Great Britain, it doesn't apply to the crown colonies. What applies to the crown colonies? Whatever the king says applies to the crown colonies. That's, That's um, right. The United States was a crown colony, or the uh, the colonies here were crown colonies, and uh, Parliament tried to uh, to to um, to intervene and pass a taxes, which they did, and everybody here said you can't do that. Only the king can can do that. You'll see that in the uh, in the Declaration of Independence, where essentially Parliament is ignored. Why? They had no authority here. Okay. Um, this led direct to the American Revolution. Again, the king lost. He did keep his head, but he lost all his power within the United States and most of it with Britain. And that's true. Parliament really came, swept in and, and took control after George III. Why? Because he had attempted to usurp their authority in some of these things. Okay. What yep. does it mean? The executive does not have the authority to do these things. The Congress, right. the elected representative Congress of the United States of America has that power. Now, people, people who want to exercise that want the uh, uh, executive to be able to uh, exercise that authority or looking for a king. Of course they are. But of course, why not? Yeah. And, uh, um, the elective king idea went out in the constitutional convention. There were people that suggested Alexander Hamilton. We're looking at you. And it was rejected soundly, which is exactly what we need to do in this situation. Don't get fooled by the 14th Amendment argument. It does not fly. Nope, not at all. It, because we operate under a different type of charter. Even Yeah, even though it is a lot like Britain's charter, it's not the same thing. It is nowhere near the same thing. That's right. No, and, and we uh, uh, unlike the British, which is kind of considered... Uh, uh, not kosher to question the king, even though they did it in the 17th century. Um, we here, oh, we're allowed to question the president. We've we've done how many? Uh, uh, I'm going to count three impeachment trials. Yep. Um, the fourth one, that that joke thing, uh, in, folks. Uh, constitutionally, impeachment is for um, sitting office holders that aren't. Uh, are that are not uh, legislative. In other words, you can't impeach a president who is no longer in office. No, you cannot. Um, that, the, that's the thing about impeachment. It only happens during your term of service. That's right. So that whole thing was a joke fiasco. It was designed to give him a black eye, and he laughed through the whole thing. Uh, Trump laughed through the whole thing because he knew that it, w it was ginned up. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. we're, we're out of time. I figured we might be. Um, wow, that went fast. Um, it always goes fast when we talk about the Constitution and some of these issues. Um, yes, indeed. But that being said, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And by the way, we have a Facebook page. 
go on out and have a look at our Facebook page. It's Institute for Principled Policy. And Chuck has been doing a yeoman's work of getting some of our past shows up there for your listening pleasure. Trying to get them up to date. That's right. Keeping them up to date. Uh, that being, Yeah. That being said, we would ask that you would join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.